And then, of course, we remind people that the goal of the checklist is not to create better writing at the moment, but to create better writers downstream. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew Poudois, episode 290. Whoa, 290. I know. It, it, it's, we're approaching a, another century. And you periodically tell me how many episodes, and then I say to people, I don't know, we have a couple hundred maybe. Yeah. Because I can never remember. But, wow, so only 10 more from 300. Yes. Well, that'll be a landmark. Well, yes, and I think we did something really cool with our 200th. So we should probably plan to do something pretty cool for us. We our... should crack a bottle of virtual champagne. Oh, okay. We'll get right on that. We'll just put the sound effects oh. of the bubbly coming into the oh, glasses. Oh, I like that. You know? I like that. Actually, you know what we should probably do, Andrew? People have asked for this. A video Oh, pod- video podcast. Yeah, so maybe we'll do episode 300 as a video. And then people can see how different we look from when we did episode 200 as a video. Yeah, if they care. <laughs> so episode 290 it's a decade episode which means it's an ask andrew anything all right well i, I hope you got some good ones i do I, and a lot of these are technical so a and, lot of- and everyone should know i don't know these questions I'm, I'm like candace owens or something i don't know the questions you're gonna ask me <laughs> well and and no he doesn't know the questions that i'm except that i do happen to know he can read upside down so i have to turn my paper so he can't read we're yeah but i don't have my glasses on so you're oh, totally we're, safe we're safe today so andrew a lot of these questions are pretty technical okay written from teachers and parents who know our system and they're just wanting refinement so if you are new to our system listener these might you may not be able to understand what the questions are actually asking but that's okay some of these are fun anyway so starting with Josie she says she's a teacher in a schoolroom what do you say to a student who spends more time on symbols rather than words in their keyword outline yeah that's a common question from everybody you know teachers parents tutors and there are some children some people Mm -hmm. who actually lock information to symbols and nonverbal cues better than they do to single words. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, we want to be a little bit lenient because that child is probably using a strategy that best helps their way of learning, their neurology, their memory, and all that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, We don't want to defeat the purpose of the keyword outline. So a few things. One is to – and I've I've directly suggested this to children who don't kind of figure it out on their own. Most do. But, hey, any word that might be hard to spell, that's a good candidate to make it into a keyword outline because if it's hard to spell and you copy it and then when you use the keyword outline to write the sentences – 
you don't have to go figure it out again. Mm-hmm. A second guideline that we have stated, and I, I think I say this in the TWSS, which is the definition of a symbol is does not include detailed little picture. Right. A symbol is something that you can draw quickly. You should be able, able to create a symbol faster than you could write the whole word. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the line. Right. And then a symbol should be recognizable, at least by you, in the future. Mm-hmm. And I know we've all got trapped into doing some little, you know, detailed thing that doesn't really look like anything in particular to anybody. <laughs> and then maybe three days later, we look at it and we're like, I have no idea what mm-hmm. I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are the guidelines. And If absolutely necessary, you could arbitrarily put a limit on symbols. Mm -hmm. You know, we say the general rule is symbols, numbers, and abbreviations are free. Right. But you could say, you know, three words max, three symbols max, Mm -hmm. something like that. And then you you keep a balance. Yep. So uh, the good thing about the rules is that you can create a guideline or a rule that helps people not go to an extreme Mm -hmm. in anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I even know teachers who had to put a limit on the number of LY adverbs that someone could put in a paragraph because there were kids that were trying to put three of them in every single sentence. It was getting just ridiculous. (laughs) So I tried to avoid adding rules Mm -hmm. unless it's really going to help kind of cultivate the right direction. Yep. Yep. Well, that's a good segue into our next question, actually. Katrina, she's a parent. She wants to know, should you insist children correctly use new stylistic techniques or simply let them play with the new devices? I am not sure whether that means should you insist that students correctly use it And you remove the word correctly, and should you insist that they use it? Mm -hmm. In that case, the answer is yes. It's on the checklist. Mm -hmm. So it is a requirement. Mm -hmm. The correctly is tough because Mm -hmm. how do you insist that someone do something correctly Mm -hmm. if they don't already know how to do it? Right. So that's where we move into the editing world Mm -hmm. and say, okay, um, I see your – you've used this technique. Let's just let's just give a real one so our listeners who know our system, like I know when you teach the number four opener, you spend some time saying this is a correct one, this is an incorrect one. Right. Uh, or, you know, you get a, a who-which clause that gets mm-hmm. tacked on and then it creates a fragment mm-hmm. accidentally. It creates mm-hmm. an incomplete sentence. Right. So we would assume that the student used the knowledge they have to the best of their ability. That's Mm -hmm. the assumption you always want to have. Mm -hmm. True or not, we don't know, but that's the right assumption to make. So then if it isn't correctly used, then what you've got is probably just a lack of information, experience, confidence, examples. Mm -hmm. So the the first line would be to just, in editing, make it correct. Mm -hmm. And don't even try to lecture Mm -hmm. and refer people, once again, for the umpteenth time Mm -hmm. to the Four Deadly Errors audio talk because that is just 
foundational to our way of thinking about this. Right. Link in the show notes. But having said that, there would be, you know, the student then has the edited version. They go and fix that, produce the more perfected final version. But then the teacher could use that as an opportunity, not as an ex post facto mini lecture on the paper or a conferencing mm-hmm. idea, but they could use that as a mechanics and grammar lesson, mini lesson mm-hmm. sometime in the future. And so you can you, know, you can work on these things. Mm-hmm. So yes, the answer is it should be correctly used. Mm-hmm. It should be used by the student. But if they need help in the correctly part, mm-hmm. then that's where you want to be careful not to withhold mm-hmm. the help or the information they're understanding. One yeah. of the things I say in that talk is one of the most pointless things you could ever say to a child is, don't you think you could use a better word here? Kids like, yeah, if I could, I would have. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like this one, just tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what's going on semi-consciously for them. Yep. Yep. So if a student writes a sentence, the word doesn't work, maybe they tried to put in a quality adjective or a strong verb, or, mm-hmm. and it's just not in the context correctly. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to them about it. Just cross out the one you don't like, put one that does work, and hand it back to them. And then they see, mm-hmm. without the emotional reaction to being talked to, oh, that wasn't a good one. This is better. Yeah, I see that now. Mm-hmm. And that's just modeling. That's just teaching by example. Right, good. So also kind of on the same line, Amina, she's a parent, asks, if a child is struggling with easy plus one, do you allow them to skip some of the past easies <laughs> to do the new skill, or do you discourage them from practicing the new skill? You don't discourage or encourage. You require. That's mm-hmm. the purpose of the checklist. Mm-hmm. So the answer to that is an emphatic no. The way the no system <laughs> works is you do what you've learned mm-hmm. until it becomes easy, Mm -hmm. and then you add in the next technique, but you don't start dropping them out, Mm -hmm. nor do you make them optional, Mm -hmm. nor do you do what I have seen some teachers do that I find rather irritating, and that's to say, well, you've learned six dress-ups, but you only have to do three of them in each paragraph. Mm -hmm. That's not going to accomplish the goals we're working towards here. Mm -hmm. I understand why people do that. They're trying to make it a little less stressful for the kids or they're trying to make it a little less awkward or whatever. Um, But it's not the discipline that builds mastery. And so when we're looking at, you know, mastery, it is the easy plus one. And if it isn't working, you drop the plus one Mm -hmm. and stick with the easy. And if it isn't actually easy, then you cross something off and you go back mm-hmm. as far as you need to. If mm-hmm. you need to go back to the four things mm-hmm. that the kid can do without much help and it doesn't sound too goofy, camp out there. Mm-hmm. Camp out there for as long as you like. Mm-hmm. It would be better to camp out there for two months than to then add in you know, and be up to nine things on the checklist and say, well, you don't have to do them all. Right. Right. Yep. So, yeah, it's a tough one because I understand the motive of the teacher to say, Mm -hmm. well, let's relieve some of the stress. But if we're looking for the mastery approach, which we are, then 
stick with the system, and I guarantee you it works better in the long run. Yeah, and just my little parenting tip to Amina, speaking as a parent emeritus, right, because all my boys are all grown up. One of the things that I would say to my boys is hard work is immensely satisfying. And sometimes if it's a little hard, then they've worked for it and they've accomplished the goal of doing it well. And they're proud of themselves. Well, and if if a child is having a hard time, mm-hmm. like I just don't know how to fit in mm-hmm. the the who, which clause in this paragraph. Right. That's a fair enough thing. You know, mm-hmm. could you help me? Right. Sure. I'd love to help you. Right. I would love to read this paragraph and figure out, can we recast a sentence? Can we connect something? Can we add in a detail and make this thing work? And in doing it together, again, that's the modeling that is going to give that additional little bit of information that ultimately will build into the critical mass of, yes, I can pretty much always find a way to fit this in. Whether it makes it better in that moment or not, is irrelevant to the process of learning how to make it work. And then, of course, we remind people that the goal of the checklist is not to create better writing at the moment, but to create better writers downstream. Mm -hmm. And eventually, the student will graduate from the checklist. And as, you know, a later high school, college adult, whatever, they'll then have the ability to use or not use techniques according to the optimal way to communicate whatever sequence of ideas they're working in. Yep. Good. And I just want listeners to refer you to our show notes. Again, the four deadly errors. Andrew's already mentioned this, but he has written an article called Process, Not Product that I think would be really helpful to add to this conversation. Oh, good. Okay, these next several are related to the keyword outline, which is, of course, a foundational part of what, how we teach writing. Susan, she's a parent, asks, how can I help my students see the importance of slowing down to do a keyword outline? Uh, so I, I'm assuming what that means is doing the outline, which takes more time, as opposed to doing the outline more slowly and carefully. So this would be kind of two Mm, different questions. mm -hmm. But the way it's phrased, Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume she's got students who do not believe in the value of doing it. And that's part of the brilliance of Webster's system is unit one and two. That's what it is. You you can't actually do, do unit one and two without the outline because that is the activity. Right. And we start everybody there, right. regardless of age, regardless of experience, regardless of what grade they're in or where they did or didn't go to school. Even teacher training. Even teacher training. Mm-hmm. Everybody starts with book, book lice, lice and <laughs> infrasound. And, and then if you start that way and you just always do it. It's just non-optional. Mm-hmm. Then after a while, it does become a habit. Mm-hmm. And eventually, and it may be months or possibly years, mm-hmm. the student will realize, wow, it is really helpful to separate the complexity mm-hmm. of what to write and then how to write it. But my guess is that this student was you know, in a curriculum or a class or a circumstance where the teachers didn't require this type of more formal Mm pre-writing or worse, a a teacher or a curriculum that said, just start writing whatever Mm -hmm. comes to your mind and don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, 
you get kind of a, a messy mass of prose that is really hard to reorganize into something mm-hmm. that is better. Yep. Uh, whereas this discipline of outlining, it eventually becomes self-evidently the better way to do it. Yep. Now, some adults think, well, I don't need to. But what are they doing? They're probably in their mind creating some form of outline, which they have the capacity because of an adult memory to hold in their mind while Mm -hmm. they're writing. Although you and I have met many adults who've said, wow, this different approach to doing this has really improved my own work in my business, my ministry, my job, my Mm -hmm. college class, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yep, good. Okay, another keyword outline question. Candace, a teacher, asks... What do we do when the keyword outline does not reflect the main ideas? Well, it kind of depends on what unit you're in Mm -hmm. and to what degree you require accuracy in the writing. Mm -hmm. So if you're – and I'm thinking most of these questions are from people – who are in Unit 2 right now because it's the beginning of the school year, maybe their first year teaching. Mm -hmm. And so the students' keywords are not reflecting the idea of the sentence Mm -hmm. in the way that the parent or teacher would do it themselves. A few things usually happen as kind of a natural control of error on that. If the student is using the tell-it-back way of checking the outline, very often they hit those keywords that did not transfer the idea well, and they cannot construct an idea that makes sense in the sequence from the words they have. Mm -hmm. At which point you'd say, well, okay, let's go back and reread the original. Oh, okay. Well, do you want to change the keywords in that outline? Yes. Okay. So now you can make sense of it and tell it through. So, you know, as I've said many, many times in almost every case of teaching this, even in its most rudimentary form, mm-hmm. the telling it back, mm-hmm. it's not a test of the child or their memory. It's a method whereby the child can test the outline. Right. That's one consideration. Another consideration would be that the source text was just written at a reading level Mm. that is too far above the reading level of the student. Mm. So when they're reading it, they're not really understanding it. Mm. There's too many unfamiliar words or too long of sentences or it's just, you know, too long and they lose their concentration. Mm -hmm. So if that's the problem, if you detect that, oh, they're really not understanding it in the first place, Mm -hmm. then what you do is try to use a simpler source text, Mm -hmm. something, again, as I'm always stressing, at or or best below the reading level of the student. Mm -hmm. So that would be the second possible cause of this Mm -hmm. problem. And the third possible cause would be a kid who's just like doesn't care at all And he's just picking words at random to be done with it as soon as possible. The shortest words to the (laughs) I. (laughs) And in that case, uh, you know, that's more of a a slow transformation. Mm. And I think that transformation occurs by saying, 
let's just do this one together. Mm-hmm. And do it together. There's no rule against doing it together mm-hmm. because you're not just modeling process. You're also modeling mm-hmm. the care with which you do something. And, you know, if the if the child can catch a little bit that, be a little bit inspired by doing it together, then they'll want to do it on their own like they experienced doing it together and that will bring them to a little bit higher level of caring about it. Yeah. There are many different causes of this symptom mm-hmm. and you kind of have to look in a little bit more and usually it's just more involvement with the teacher or the parent. Great. Okay, Holly, she's a teacher. She is asking, it's a unit one and two question. Is it imperative to stay in the same sentence order when making the keyword outline? Can we encourage kids to start picking out the most interesting facts to put first if they want to for units one and two? I would recommend no mm-hmm. and just save that idea, which is a very good idea for unit four. Right. Because that's actually what we're trying to teach in unit four. And if unit two is at the moment seeming too simplistic, mm-hmm. then stop and move on to unit three And then when you get to unit four, say, okay, now the challenge is you've got too many facts. You get to choose what's interesting, important, or relevant, and you can't choose them all. Right. Uh, One kind of side point I would make in this regard, however, is that when a child has a keyword outline, whether it's unit two or three or four or any unit, if they want to reorganize those ideas kind of on the fly as they're moving the idea from the outline into the sentences and the prose composition, that's okay with me. So, Well, that's especially important if you're doing sentence combining, who, which clause or something. You might need to move things around. You might need to. Mm-hmm. And, and so you could possibly improve the logical order of the original, mm-hmm. but I would not do that at the keyword outline mm-hmm. step in unit two. Right. I would do that in the writing it out step in unit two. Mm -hmm. And then the demonstration of the species of elephants in unit four in the TWSS, that's a really good one because we kind of, when we do the group writing exercise on that, I do say now it would make sense to put this thing about ears with this other thing about ears and this thing about tusks with this other thing about tusks, and let's kind of reorder on the fly. Yep. And so that's a good example of when and how that would be appropriate, if not even beneficial. But with unit two, I would pretty much stick in the linear sentence by sentence. And if it's too easy and you're done learning what you can this year from it, just be done with it. Go to unit three. And from there on, you won't have this question or problem. Good. Um, This is an easy question. April, she's a teacher, says, do you recommend doing the keyword outline in class so the kids can just start their papers when they are home? Yes, uh, definitely, uh, depending on the amount of time you have. Mm -hmm. The way ideally it would happen is the first assignment in each unit, you would probably try to have enough time to make the whole keyword outline together in class And let the kids start writing in the class so that you can see 
who's got it and who's still a little bit stuck and help them individually. And then if you run out of time, okay, finish it at home. The other thing that if you can get them to start writing it in class, they're less likely to procrastinate until Mm -hmm. whenever it's due, which could be, who knows, days or a week later. And then they don't remember as much from the experience of reading the source text, the keyword outline, talking about it, the prep work. So, you know, that. Then the next assignment in that unit, uh, ideally, you'd probably start the keyword outline, maybe do uh, two of the three paragraphs, if there were three paragraphs, Mm -hmm. or one of the two paragraphs, if there were two, and say, okay, I think you've got the hang of this. Now, you try the next paragraph on your own, but have them do it in class so that you can kind of walk around and be sure everybody is actually doing it. Right. And if they aren't, then you can help them individually. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the third one in that unit, you'd say, okay, it looks like you got the hang of this. Here's the source text. Try this whole making an outline on your own, mm-hmm. but doing it in class so that you can be sure everybody is doing it. Mm-hmm. And and then maybe if you have a fourth one, you could say, okay, you know what to do. Here's the source text. Goodbye. <laughs> but you may never get to that level of independence, especially if it's the student's first year mm-hmm. through the nine units. Right. So it's always better to err on the side of doing more together than you think you need to. Right. And then if the kids, you know, if, if a couple of the kids are saying, well, I want to do it differently – Okay, that's fine. We'll do it on the board here. And if you want to write something different on your paper, mm-hmm. different keywords or different ideas if you're in Unit 3 or whatever, fine. No problem. I don't mind. But the ones who need to be doing it together aren't going to be cut off from the source of help that will allow them to be successful. Yep. And you model that so well in Structure and Software Students, especially the Year 1, Level A, Year 1, Level B you say to the students, if you want to do this on your own, go ahead and do it. Those of you, who's going to help me do this one? And then yeah. you pick the kids that are going to help you, which you're actually helping them, which is awesome. All right. One last question. Okay. How do you feel about diagramming sentences? <laughs> How do I feel? I guess that would be a little different than what do I think. True. <laughs> My experience with diagramming sentences is that it is not categorically a bad thing to do. But the question you always have to ask is, is this the best use of time? Mm -hmm. Right? So a good thing can be the enemy of the best thing if it displaces that. Mm -hmm. And one of the frustrating things about diagramming sentences is that it is not a precise science with always consistent answers. In fact, You could have three people who've been practicing diagramming sentences for years. I could throw at them, you know, a seven-word sentence, and they would disagree Mm -hmm. about how to diagram that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though they are supposedly have learned how to do it or they're experts or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that level of imperfection and frustration can cause a feeling Mm -hmm. (laughs) in students of... I don't like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess we the, the closest parallel we could make is if we both had a math problem mm-hmm. and we both got a different answer and then we couldn't know which one was right. That would be frustrating mm-hmm. to both of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would be very frustrating 
to a teacher of us. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I'm not opposed to the idea of sentence diagramming as a way to learn grammar stuff. But in my experience, it is not the most effective or the least frustrating way to do it, uh, which is why, you know, I think we've had such good success with our Fix-It programs over the years. I mean, honestly, when we started the Fix-It, I never imagined how people would love it so much because I thought, you know, it's grammar. Who's ever going to really love this thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, But what they've discovered is because it's manageable and concrete and it's more like okay there are yes and no right and wrong clear and clear answers mm-hmm. to this process and it's kind of a self test self correct so right. it's not like you have to memorize everything and pass a test mm-hmm. it's like we're just going to do this every day and you're going to refine your understanding as it goes but you're not going to be confused mm-hmm. that those are the two factors i think that most appeal to children's feeling mm-hmm. about grammar. Good. Well, our timekeeper has told us time's up, and this has been super helpful, especially, I think, to those that have been doing Unit 1 and 2 who are doing some of the stylistic techniques. Um, what we do is a technical approach to teaching writing, and I think we demonstrated some of that today, but super helpful. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.